So the past several weeks, we've been journeying through a, a book in the Bible known as the book of Revelation. And so this book was given to uh, John, John the Beloved, uh, the John that wrote, he also wrote a gospel. He's known as John the Revelator as well. And so he did many different things in his life. He pastored, he, he clearly, he, he wrote uh, several books in the Bible. Uh, he was also a, a bit of a poet. And now we're seeing he was a prophet. He, he spoke of the future in, in the book that we're, we're studying. It's, uh, it's kind of broken up into three parts, past, present tense, what John was experiencing in the world when he was writing, and then the future. And, and so it's been a, quite a journey. I, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, in the book of Revelation, one of the things that we have, have brought out of the book is we realize that the book is not written linear. And so it's not really a, a time, it's, it's not in order. And so if you just started reading the book of Revelation, and if you went from chapter 1 to the end, you're going to notice it kind, of, it kind of jumps a little bit. And so it's almost like we get a window of a certain time in history, and then John will get another vision, and it'll be a different time in a different place. And, he, uh, and, and so it, it, because of that, it, it makes it hard sometimes to read it straight through. But we've been taking it chapter by chapter. And, and so one of the... Uh, one of the things that I've been picking up on is there's, uh, you know, this is an apocalyptic book. That word itself's a little scary, right? The, the word apocalypse. Um, we we're hearing that term quite a bit. Not in church, we're hearing it in the news. We're reading it um, in the news. And, um, but that word is not a scary term, right? Uh, that word apocalypse just means to unveil. It'd be like if, uh, you know, you're, you're go, you go to a movie or a theater and they've got the, the curtain closed and all of a sudden the, the apocalypse happens and the curtain is revealed and what was in plain sight and hidden for so long is now able to be seen. And so the book of Revelation gives us a lot of those things in our life personally. I really believe that. When we look at this book, it's, it's a special book for one particular reason. It's the only book in the Bible that says that we'll be blessed just by reading it. And, you know, the Bible, I love, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in the, in the Bible. Yeah, but of all 66 books, there's not one book that says, if you read this book, you'll be blessed. And so maybe that's why I know me personally, I've, I've, um, I've shied away from it. Because it's hard to understand. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of poetry. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things that have to be left to interpretation. And, and so it can be an intimidating book. But what I want to do today is uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up in uh, Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 8. But just a little bit of a recap. You know, last week we talked about the riders on the storm, the four, the four horses of the apocalypse. And if you've, you've noticed, I'm sure, going chapter by chapter, that the book has really high highs and really low lows. And there's a lot of traumatic things happening in the book. All four of those writers all represented, you know, different things that we see throughout history that have happened and are happening now, and they're, they're, they're a little frightening. And so imagine being John, the revelator, on the Isle of Patmos, who's he's exiled there as a prisoner, and he's, uh, you know, history says that he's, he's cutting granite stone to be put into the Roman, some of the Roman temples. And so he's, 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 he's a slave, and in that setting, having all his rights taken from him, having all his freedom taken from him, God gives him a vision. In Revelation 1, it says that on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit. And so as he's out there, he's working a job. I'm sure he doesn't want to work with people he doesn't want to be with. 
reporting to someone that he probably doesn't like, God speaks to him. And he opens up heaven and he shows him these incredible visions. In the first you know, three chapters, he gives him an exact portrait of what was happening of, in, the, in the church, in the world, in that time. And we went through those. A lot of corrections. You know, a lot of things that uh, challenges to the church on how they could get back on course. And, and then we, we get into a vision of, of the throne room of God. And he sees these, these creatures with like multiple faces. One's like, a, you know, the face of a lion and the face of an ox and then the face of a man. And they have wings and the wings are full of eyes. Like it's, it's kind of crazy, right? And now, you know, it, it, we go from that vision to last week. He sees these four horses with riders on them, a red horse and a black horse and a pale horse and a white horse. And he, sees, he hears this voice speaking to him and, and, and telling him these incredibly tragic things that are coming. And so it makes sense that what we're going to pick up in today is there. Because like life, it doesn't really come to us like a math equation. It comes to us like a story, like a movie. And we don't get all the pieces at once. We don't get to pick what happens. It just happens. And I think a lot of life is, is sometimes we can, we can get frustrated with God and with life because we try to deal our own hand. And God says, no, 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 no. You got to play the hand that you're dealt. <laughs> and John has all these things coming to him at once. I imagine that he's probably pretty confused. And, and I want to read, read just kind of a break in the action. Revelation 7, verse 1. says, after this, the vision that we just explained and, and talked about, these visions of these horsemen, and known as, the, as these, uh, this, this, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, after that, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. So it's pretty amazing to me that we've got an illustrated sermon this morning outside. Because about two hours ago, it was like a hurricane force winds were happening, and it was storming, and then now all of a sudden, there's stillness. And I want you to see there, there's a pattern here. Revelation 8, I want to read the first five verses of that. Again, a lot comes to John. There's a lot happening. He's, there's, a, there's a vision. There's so much going on. He's trying to keep up and write. But then God gives him a break. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence, stillness and silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and he stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne, verse 4, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar, and he hurled it back onto the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So for just a, a few moments, I want to talk to you about reversed thunder. Reversed thunder. 
I think one of the things that we miss in, the, in just the awesomeness and the imagery of the book of Revelation was that even John the Revelator, who's receiving this vision from God, had to stop. That God gave him breaks. That it wasn't just this constant vision. It wasn't just this constant, you know, he was riding and he's seeing these horses. He's seeing these trumpet judgments and bold judgments. And he's seeing all this happening on the planet. But even in the middle of what was all of these important things that God was giving him, giving him in that moment, he still put in this book that he had stillness in his life. He had rest. He had quietness in his life. That in the middle of all the chaos, there is a time to rest. And I think that's something we can draw out of this book that's maybe not completely obvious on the front end. That as he's receiving this from God, as he's doing what God has called him to do, he still had to have moments of stillness and quietness. And it's amazing how the, the, the really the vision of this book, I believe, came from those moments. And I think in life, just, just in general, by default, life is fast. Everyone is in a hurry, especially in the 21st century. We're trying to get places fast. We're getting on planes, trains, and automobiles because we want to get there faster. Now we're developing hypersonic jets because we want to get there even faster. It's fast. And there's something powerful that happens when we just stop and get quiet. And even this vision that John is getting from God that's so important, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this vision. Thousands of years later, we're still studying this vision that he received. Even in the middle of that, he needed a moment to stop and to rest and to get quiet. And I think that's one of the important things that we do on Sundays. That's one of the important things. I think working from a rhythm of rest is so critical. I like to work until I am forced to stop, right? Until, I, you know, he makes me lie down. I'm, I'm sitting on my back because he made me lie down. You know, rather than saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to implement that into my life. And that's hard for productive type A go-getters to hear because we want to go, 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 go. And we're in a hurry. And if we don't close that deal, someone else is going to get it. And so we're constantly moving, moving, moving. But you can't do good work in your life without margin. You look at people that have left marks in history and have built great things and painted great things and have written great things. They didn't do that in a hurry. They didn't. And here John is receiving probably the most beautiful vision that we have in the Bible of how God is going to wrap up this, this dispensation of grace and how he's moving forward into history and he has a plan for the world and he has a plan for you. And even in the middle of that, he had to stop. And we were given this vision, Revelation 8, this picture of prayer. It's the last word on prayer. It's the last mention of prayer. We, we, we have a lot in scripture about prayer. There's a lot of verses there. We could go 10 months on prayer. There's a lot there. But this is the last thing that I can find. The last vision, the last mention of prayer. It's the final word. And it's this beautiful vision of how God is storing up the prayers of his people. 
and he mixes it with his power, he mixes it with fire from the altar, and he sends it back down to earth. So, so what does that mean for me and you? I think the first thing it means is you really cannot, you can't articulate and know how well of a thinker or a talker you are until you have somebody to listen to you. Part of learning how to talk and communicate, I'm, 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 I'm figuring this out with my son who's six now, is somebody has to listen. And I think a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think of it as, as a one-way direction. We, we're, we're, we're wanting to hear from God. We're talking. There's a lot going on. We want God to talk back. But have you ever thought for a moment that maybe the, the most powerful part of prayer is that God listens to us? That he has the ability to fully be fully present with every person on the planet at every moment. The greatest people to talk to are not ones that talk back. Come on, somebody, right? They, they, they listen to understand, not to respond. And it's a beautiful picture here that God has kept every prayer that's ever been prayed by every... It says the prayers of God's people, he has in this large... He's holding them. He, he has them. He, he hears the prayers of his people. He hears your prayers. I don't know, that encouraged me. To know that God listens and that one of, the, one of the greatest principles of prayer is not so much what I can say to God. It's not so much what I can hear from God or get from God, but it's that there is this great father in the universe that created all we see and know, and he's a good listener. He listens. And when we sit down with somebody who truly listens, they bring things out of us that we didn't know were there. When we sit down, and you probably think of someone in your life, I hope you have someone in your life, that when you meet with them, they don't do most of the talking. They listen. And it's in the listening that things begin to happen in our life. It's in the listening that, that God begins to reveal things to us. And I think a lot of times, for me personally, I don't pray because I can feel like, well, I think God's just busy today. Or I, I asked someone this week, how can I pray for you? And they, he, was, he was really hesitant to tell me because he felt like what he needed from God was not really important. He's looking, for, you know, looking to change jobs and he's working out of, out, of this, out of the county in a different county and he wants to be closer to home. He's like, I don't even want to tell you because it's just not, it's not important. But I, I can promise you this, people may make you feel like that, but God never will. Everything in your life is important to him. So important, he says he's numbered every hair on your head. If you don't have any hair, that's okay. <laughs> Even so important, he, 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 knows, he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. How much more important are your needs if he's watching over birds that well? So what you say to God is important, and he listens. And I, just, just seeing that in this, in this vision gave me, gave me great hope. An early church father, Henrich Grieven, said this, the distinction of early Christian prayer was the certainty of being heard. And I think maybe we've, we've missed that. I know I have missed that. There's been many prayers, many times where I've just stayed silent or tried to frustrate my way through something because I felt like, I don't know if God's concerned about this. But I want to encourage you and remind you that he is. And he listens. And he holds on to those prayers. 
Those prayers just don't fall on deaf ears. The prayers, they don't hit, your prayers don't hit the ceiling and, and then never go any farther. But they're captured and they're, they're embraced by God. And he holds on to those prayers. And so God listens. We see this in, in the, that beautiful vision that John is given, that God is holding on to all of our prayers. And not just us in this room, but he says all of God's people. From, from, the, from the beginning of time, Every prayer that has been prayed, God has it. It's like a, he's like, a, like an eternal hard drive. Come on, somebody. Like he, he holds on to those prayers. He stores those prayers because he's, he's going to do something with them. We're going to see that. So God listens when we pray. And the second thing that God does when we begin to pray is he designs. He designs. I think one of the coolest things about the God that we serve is what he did first in the Bible. In Genesis 1, very first verse. It says, in the beginning, he didn't pray. He didn't go to church. He didn't give a law or, or you know, a state. He didn't really do any. He, it says, in the beginning, God, he, he designed. He created. And so one of the, the most, you know, important attributes of God, I think, that sometimes we... we we don't see or maybe we, we forget is that we serve a God who is this creative genius and he designs. He designed the earth that we're in. He designed this planet and the way that it looks and the, the beautiful things that we get to see and experience. It's hard for me, even before I became a Christian, one of the things that really led me to God was sitting out in his creation and trying to convince myself that this all happened on accident. That this all came from a big bang and then we like slid out of some mush and started growing stuff like 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 I, it was just hard for me to to believe that because when i look around what's what is screaming in my mind is that this was designed this didn't happen on accident there's something and so the design tells us a lot about the designer when we look at paint and we look at art and we, 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 we look at these incredible masterpieces and things that men and women have designed, it tells us a lot about the person themselves. And as we begin to pray, the Bible tells us that we actually get to, to take place with God in that designing. That the prayers, your prayers and my prayers, not only do they go to God, but he consults with us as he begins to do his work on the planet. That prayers really do change things. And if they don't change the things in our world, the, the, the biggest part of prayer is that it begins to change us. John, the revelator on the Isle of Patmos, he's in the end of his life, few years left. I mean, he, he's in his 90s. Imagine how hard of a life that must have been for that man. Imagine, you know, serving God and planning churches and writing a part of the Bible and you're rewarded with cutting granite on the Isle of Patmos. That was his reality. But when he began to pray, it's almost like God brought him into the ultimate reality. And in the middle of his circumstances, God didn't take him off that island. God didn't deliver him from the people that was, were holding him captive. But it was his prayer life that took him to another place. 
And in the middle of the same circumstances and in the middle of his everyday life that seemed like he was just going to cut granite until he went to heaven, all of a sudden he, was, he said he was taken up in a vision. He was taken up in the spirit. And so what does God begin to do for John? Well, he gives him this beautiful vision known as the book of Revelation, but I think he begins to help John design his own life and see the purpose of why he was on Patmos. Because it can get frustrating on this side of eternity, especially when you're doing a work or you're being persecuted and you feel like, man, there's got to be more than this. See, have you ever felt like that? Monday morning is usually when it hits. There's got to be more than this nine to five. Come on, right? There's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. Well, prayer takes us to the more. Pr prayer reminds us that, that there, even in the middle of everyday circumstances and situations, God can take you to a place and use you to do things that you would never be able to do on your own. It reveals God's design in your life. And whether you realize it or not, you are designed for prayer. You are designed to have a conversation with God. It's part of who you are. And you may say, well, I don't pray much. I don't have much time to pray. I don't have it on my calendar. Well, I would, I would argue with you on that. Do you think? Do you have conversations in your mind? You don't know who you're having them with? Maybe you need to go to the loony bin. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. But I do that. I really do. do you, I think prayer is as natural as breathing. We can't survive without it as a Christian. There's no way to live without it. But even breathing is studied. Even there's people that can breathe so well, they can hold their breath for 10 minutes. It's amazing. People in this church that, are, that, that can do that. There's a guy I, that I, um, he went to, took some training classes on how to breathe well. He can, he can go down 100 feet on one breath and shoot fish and come back up. It's amazing. Everybody breathes, but some people are trained on how to breathe really, really, really good. Prayer does that for us as believers. That as we enter into this conversation with God that we're all designed for, every one of us, we're created for dependency. And it's not on a substance. And it's not on a person. And it's not on some goal or dream. God created us to be dependent on him. Our bodies are dependent on food because it came from the ground. Our bodies are dependent on water because it came from the ground. Our bodies did. But your soul and your spirit, which you come to church to feed, came from God. And that soul, your spirit, needs, it needs prayer. It needs this conversation to happen. And, and it's not something I believe that we have to force in our life. We planted a garden, my, my wife and I, this year, a, ra a raised garden. It's actually, I put it on wheels so I can move it around. And so we planted some tomatoes and bell peppers and uh, some different herbs and things like that. And, and, and so we, we water it every day. And I, I, I've never went out there and watered the tomato plant and heard it, heard it saying, you know, naming and claiming tomatoes on itself. Like, force the tomato out. Come on, man. Make a tomato, make a tomato, right? It, it, it just, it, I've never heard, I've never heard it, never heard it doing that. Because a tomato plant, when it's in the right environment, it produces tomatoes. And I think prayer is the same way. Sometimes we can look at, look at it as something we have to force ourselves to do, but God wants prayer to be something that's a part of your everyday life, and it, and it most likely already is, and you just don't realize it. He wants us dependent on him. And when we, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you just stay in me, 
This isn't something that you have to force. He says, just, just stay in me. This naturally happens. Your life begins to unravel and you see how when you begin to pray, God begins to put the stepping stones into place. And prayer just begins to open up doors. You're made for prayer. You're made to see your prayers answered. Jesus said a pretty bold statement. Ask anything in my name. And I'll give it to you. Well, that sounds okay. Well, all right, I'm going to manifest a G-Wagon real quick out here. You know, I'm going to, you know, like, so I think we've, we've, taken that, we've taken that and turned it around a little bit. I think what Jesus means is, is, is when you're walking hand in hand with me and prayer is a part of your lifestyle, meditation, stillness, quietness, being alone. Uh, sometimes maybe that's the way that you pray. You, you get alone. You get outside in nature. You hunt. Come on, right? You, you get on the boat. You, you, get, you get quiet and you get still. And it's in those moments what will begin to happen is we won't pray for anything that's not God's will. And we're going to find what we pray for begins to happen because our will and our heart becomes in line with his will and his heart. And God begins to design. God begins to connect the dots. Life is helter-skelter by default. It comes at us and it's chaotic. And it's just, it's a lot. And it's happening. And it's, you know, it seems like sometimes that this world is kind of drifting away and there's no plan. But God reminds us in this book that he has a plan. That this, this all is going to come together in this, in this beautiful climax. And as we begin to pray, what it does is I think it just it connects us with God. And we begin to see his design in our life. And we realize that we're here on purpose. We realize that we're here on mission. That we're here and God has something great for us to do. Even if we're on the Isle of Patmos cutting granite right now. Even if you're working a 9 to 5 bagging groceries at Publix. Even if you're working a job that you never wanted and you never thought you'd do this in your entire life, even then, God has something special. God has something critical for you to do. God, God placed you here for a purpose, and that prayer connection is our lifeline to that. God listens. God designs. The last thing I, I, I believe we see in this, and I wanna, I'm going to go back and read it again. Revelation 8, let's, let's, let's just, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. Verse 4, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar, sent it back down to the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So look at this, look at this process here. God stores the prayers first. He stores them. He stirs them. He mixes, mixes them up with the coals from the altar, and then he sends them. And I think one of the biggest things that I can get discouraged with when it comes to prayer is just not seeing results. Have you prayed for something and it didn't happen? Have you been praying for something 
and it hasn't happened. I hope this vision encourages you that those prayers are not wasted, <laughs> that those prayers are being stored. And I, and I really believe that, that, that the one thing that lives beyond our own self is the prayers that we pray, that our, our prayers, they never die. And if this vision is correct, that at any moment God can have these prayers re-enter into history and execute these prayers, that God acts in his timing. And it's our job to pray and to trust. And I know some of you in here have been praying and trusting about things for a while. I want to encourage you, don't stop. If there's something in your life that you've been praying for and believing for and you just hasn't, you haven't seen any results, I want, to, I want to just ask you, will you pray one more time? Can you try again? Can you pray again? Can you bring it to God one more time? And maybe it seems like you prayed and things got worse. Don't stop. Because if this vision is, is true, God is holding all these prayers for the right moment, for the right timing. And the, sometimes we don't know that timing and we don't know that moment. And sometimes that moment may not come in our history here on this planet. I think we're all walking in prayers of people that went before us. We're walking in grandma's prayers, right? We're walking in mom's prayers. We're walking in granddad's prayers. And what's so beautiful about this vision is that these prayers, that, that, and God's timing, it's almost like the, the prayer going up to God is just as powerful as when he answers that prayer. And God acts. He moves. I want to read this poem to you, and then we're going to, we're going to pray. <laughs> this is by a guy named George Herbert, who was a pastor in the 17th century or so. And it's a poem about prayer. Prayer, the church's banquet, angel's age, God's breath in man returning to his birth. The soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage. The Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth. Engine against the almighty sinner's tower. Reverse thunder. Christ's side piercing spear. The six days world transposing in an hour. A kind of tune which all things hear and fear. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss. Exalted manna, gladness of the best. Heaven and ordinary man well-dressed. The Milky Way, the bird of paradise, church bells beyond the stars heard. The soul's blood, the land of spices, something understood. I want you to bow your head for a moment, just close your eyes, and is there something in your life, somewhere in your life where you need God to act right now? Man, if, if we were sitting down over coffee and it was just me and you and I asked you, where, where do you need God to move in your life right now? What, what situation in your life do you really need God to answer prayer for you? Bring that to your mind right now. Is it a person? Is it a son? A daughter? Is it a 
could be a diagnosis or something you're walking with that nobody knows you have. Could be a financial situation that you find yourself in and you don't see how you're going to get out. Where in, you, in your life do you need God to act? You need God to move. So, Father, in this moment, we come to you as children. And you remind us that you're, you're, you're a good father and you would never give a son that asked for bread a stone. You would never give your child the exact opposite of what they asked for because you love your kids and you love us and you love everyone in this room. And in that heart and in that spirit, we come before you this morning, God. And we ask that you, can, that you would take this situation whatever it may be, and work a miracle. God, you designed us for prayer, but more than that, you designed us to see our prayers answered. To see miracles. To see the signs and the wonders. To see you moving on this planet. You designed us for that. We're created for that. So Lord, we want to walk in that. Make a way where there seems to be no way. God, confound the wise and the wisdom of men. Lord, we bring our needs to you this morning, knowing that you are an almighty, all-powerful God, and there's nothing impossible with you. Pour out the prayers, God, of your saints throughout history. Lord, let us see revival in our lifetime. Let us see people come to know you. Let us see dreams and visions come to life in this generation. And, and everyone in this room, Lord, let them walk in the purpose that you have for them every day. God, we thank you so much. You're so good to us. We thank you for moments of stillness and silence. Moments where we can really listen, where our soul can really hear and receive what it needs. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen.